Welcome, City Light. As he said, my name is Andrew Rutten. And one of my uh, primary responsibilities here is to work with our college students. And uh, man, I just felt like a, for me to get up here and preach and not brag a little bit on what God is doing in the college ministry would just be wrong. So I just have to tell you guys, man, thank you for supporting us. I just want you to know, man, God is on the move um, in college ministry here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, in September, me and Kent and JD, their City Light Youth staff, got up here, uh, and we just asked me, would you be praying for us? Would you support us? Uh, and I just want to say thank you to all of you. Anybody who has emotionally, financially, or prayerfully supported us, uh, thank you. God is answering those prayers. We have seen students come We've seen leaders get developed. Just last week, we had three college students get baptized. Like, this is amazing. It's so cool. Um, and so that's kind of what my, my heart just beats for me. I just love doing college ministry, love being here. But uh, one of the other things I get to do every once in a while, as Gavin said, is I get to come up here a couple times a year and just preach, go through the Word of God with you all. And so um, this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be finishing out our series in First John. So if you're new, we've been walking through this entire fall, uh, the, the book of 1 John. And in that, um, we have titled our series, Jesus Overcomes. And so what we've tried to do is say, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you're at when you walk through these doors, we want you to know that Jesus overcomes. If you walk in just kind of wrapped up in any sort of addiction, we want you to know Jesus overcomes. If you walk in entangled in sin... I want you to know Jesus can overcome. If you walk in riddled with doubt and you just don't really know what to believe, don't know what's true, we want you to know Jesus overcomes. If you come in here and you say, man, I just have a hard time loving people. I have a hard time loving the church. I have a hard time loving the world. Jesus overcomes. And so what we've tried to say is that this shouldn't be just a little slogan that you remember. That City Light did a series once called Jesus Overcomes. But that down in the depths of your heart, you would know that Jesus overcomes. That there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of sin that you can do. There's no outrunning or outsinning the glory and the grace of the cross of Christ. That he covers all things. And that through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus overcomes. And isn't that good news, City Light? Like, this is great news. And as I was writing this, I got to this point, and I was just like, man, I really just want to like sing some more. I wish I could just say, man, Gabe, get up on stage. Let's just sing. Um, but then I realized I get one shot a year, so I'm going to preach for a little longer. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to get into this morning's text. Um, Jesus, you are good. I thank you that you are powerful. I thank you that, as we've seen in First John, that you do overcome. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, God, I pray that this morning you would make that real in each and every one of our hearts. Every single one of us is in this room, broken, hurt, wandering, confused. God, I pray that you would show us that you overcome. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, so I grew up, uh, when I was growing up, I have three older sisters, and one of them uh, went to school in uh, Mankato, Minnesota. It was a smaller kind of school up in uh, Mankato, and the cool thing about Mankato is that it's like a, it's a college town kind of feel, but then like 30 seconds outside of the town, there's just all these like uh, forests and hills and cliffs and stuff, just super cool trails that you can walk on. And so when I was like 13, um, I went up to Mankato to hang out for a week with my sister and uh, we decided at the end, uh, I think because I was like a super overactive, hyper 13 year old boy and she just wanted me out of her apartment. Um, she was like, okay, let's go out to these trails and let's just get outside and you can run around and do whatever for a few hours. And uh, so one day we plan on let's go out and, and hike through these trails. And that morning we wake up and we wake up and it's just pouring rain. 
like absolutely thunderstorm through the night, just drenching the entire town in rain. And so we're, we're sitting there that morning, and we're like, okay, it's going to get really muddy, really slick, really nasty out there. It's probably not the safest thing to be uh, walking by cliffs when it's just super slick. And uh, so we're da- kind of debating, should we do it or not? Um, and then, like I said, I think she was just sick of me by that point. She's like, yes, we're going to get out there. You're getting out of my apartment. So um, she took us out, and we, me and her husband and her all go out to these trails and the trails were kind of cool because they were they had like two feet maybe of a trail and then there was like a 30 yard kind of slope that just kind of sloped to this cliff and then like a 75 yard drop off this cliff and the cliff was kind of your movie-esque kind of cliche like you look down there's like rocks and stuff and a little creek running through like you know what I'm talking about right that so you like look over 75 yard drop to this uh to the bottom of it and uh so we're walking and and as we start on this trail, we're kind of walking like um, we do when you're, when you're walking on ice. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like when you're kind of walking on your heels, like really slowly, just trying not to fall. And so we're kind of going on this trail. And, um, and pretty soon, because I'm 13, my stupidity level is probably at an all-time high at this point. I think I'm pretty invincible. I'm pretty sure I thought like I was the next Batman at this point. So I'm like, nothing's going to hurt me. I'm totally fine. So I start gaining a little bit of confidence and I start kind of walking a little bit more. And then I start running a little bit more. And pretty soon I'm just like sprinting up through these trails and up this mountain or up this hill. And, and my sister starts screaming at me from back. She's like, slow down, wait, hang on for us. And uh, I came up with some like sarcastic kind of comment. And so I was going to turn around and say this comment and keep running. But right as I turn around, uh, I'm on this rock that's extremely slick and my feet just go straight out from underneath me. And I just land smack dab on my butt, which is embarrassing and hurtful enough just the way it is. But I didn't land on the trail. I had slipped off and landed on this slope. And instantly when I hit the ground, I started sliding down this slope. Now, remember, it had just rained for about 24 hours. So this thing is just a muddy slide straight down this slope. And if I fall down this slope, it's not like I'm just tumbling down to the, to the valley. Like, I fall off a cliff and die. Like, that's my, that's my end game at this point. And so I'm starting to slide down this hill. And I'm just thinking, okay i got to do something or else I die. And so somehow I get myself up to my feet, which I thought was going to be a good idea. But then I realized I started doing that thing where when you're running down a hill and you're like, you can't stop yourself. Like you just have to keep running. You literally cannot stop your momentum. So I'm running down this hill and I suddenly realize I have three options at this point. I either, one, fall back to my butt and slide off this cliff. I stop my legs, end up face planting and slide off this cliff or I literally run myself off a cliff. Like, those are my options at this point. Like, I cannot stop myself. And so I'm just thinking here, freaking out, probably screaming, that I am literally going to die. And I get about 20 yards, 15 yards away from the cliff. When I see off to the side, there's this big tree. And I know instantly I'm not going to make it to that tree. My momentum's going way too fast this direction. But off the tree, there was this big branch that was kind of hanging right over where I was going to run off a cliff. And so I'm running down here and I realize my last second, last ditch effort is I just need to grab this branch. And if that branch is strong enough, I will live. If that branch is weak, I will die. Like that's, that's it. That's all I have. And so in that moment, facing life or death, like it seems kind of like I'm being dramatic, but literally two seconds away from dying, like in life or death, I had to realize that there was nothing I was going to do to save myself. Like, there was literally nothing I could do. The ground was too slick. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't smart enough to devise another plan. Like, I am literally going off this cliff. And in that moment, I needed something to save me. And in that moment, 
everything, all my hope, all my confidence was in this branch that that was going to be strong enough to save me. If it was, then I live. If it wasn't, I die. And so everything I had was put into confidence that this branch would be strong enough. And City Light, I tell this story, um, one, to make you grateful that I'm still here and I I lived. But also, beside that point, um, I tell this story because what we see through John and what we see through the entire Bible is that this is so uh, typical, and, and this just shows a picture of our life, that we are running off a cliff, and no amount of strength, no amount of good deeds, no amount of intellect, no amount of anything you can muster up will save you. But City Light, we need someone else to save us. We need something else to save us. And in that moment, you can have no confidence in yourself. You can have nothing in yourself, no amount of faith that you can muster up, nothing that you can do to save you. But what you have to do is put your confidence in someone else to save you. So just like I needed that branch, I needed to grab that branch, and all my confidence was no longer in myself, but in that branch, so too the Bible tells us that our entire confidence, our entire life, everything needs to be put not in the size of your faith, but in the object of your faith. Not in your good deeds, but the good deeds that Jesus did. See, it didn't matter how strong I was in that moment. It only mattered how strong the branch was. And what the Bible says is it doesn't matter how strong you think you can be. It matters how strong your branch is. And so what I want to do today is I just want to show uh, or walk through John's passage and show that the Christian life is not about you getting to Jesus to be saved, you staying with Jesus, being strong enough to keep him, but about Jesus getting to you to save you and about Jesus being strong enough to keep you. That our confidence when we walk out this room today should not be in ourselves clinging to Jesus, but Jesus clinging to us. And our confidence, I think, um, family, if we can just say this, our confidence gets pushed around so easily. It gets swayed. We can say, man, I believe in Jesus, but, but my confidence lies in my looks. My confidence lies in my job. My confidence lies in my intellect. My confidence lies in my family, right? We can say on Sunday morning, yes, Jesus is my all, but Monday through Saturday live in such a way where our confidence is in a thousand other things in this world. And what John wants to end this letter by saying, he's saying, church, come back. Come back to the strong branch. All these other things will never do it for you. And what John wants us to know is that, man, you can live boldly, you can live confidently, saying, Christian, live confidently because your branch is strong. It doesn't matter how strong you are, it matters how strong your branch is. And so what I want us to see today is that when we have confidence in our eternal life, when we have confidence in that branch, when we have confidence in Jesus, that will produce a confidence in your earthly life. Our life can be lived confidently when we know we are clinging to Jesus. And so uh, what I want to do is just walk through this passage that Alex recited. And I just want to say, man, what our confidence is in. And then I want to show um, three ways that that should produce a confidence in you uh, in your earthly life. So let's go back. If you haven't flipped your Bible open, go First John 5. Um, that's where we're going to be the rest of this morning. First John 5, otherwise the verses will be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John says, I've written this letter, I've written this book, so that those who believe can know 
that you have eternal life. So we have these three elements in this verse. He's saying, if you believe, you can know. And if you know, what you know is that you have life. Now, throughout this series, John has covered two of these pretty extensively. We've seen the life part, right? If you were here last week, Gavin said, man, life is a person. It's Jesus, that you can have him, that it's a free gift of God to you, and that you can have life in Jesus. And a couple months ago, right, we learned that you can know that you know that you know that you know that you know, right? You guys remember that one? That you can know for sure that you have eternal life if you have Jesus. So, so we know that we can have eternal life. But what John does here is he adds another element. He says, it's for those who believe that you can know that you have eternal life. And so I think the, the, the thing that we need to touch on today, because we've talked about life as a person, we talked about you can really know if you believe this, but what is it that we need to believe? Like a lot of people probably in this room believe a thousand kind of different things. What, what is it that we need to believe so that we can know that we have life? And so allow me just to give you my three-minute gospel, right? The three-minute kind of uh, core of the Christian faith. And what John says, you need to believe this. And if you do, you can live confidently that you have life. And so the the core of the gospel is this, that um, in the beginning, before all things, God was. And God began by creating. So out of nothing, out of, there was nothing God created, and he created the galaxies, he created the stars, he created the plants and the ground, he created the skies, he created the depths of the ocean, everything that is was created by God. And then he goes and he creates man, and so he forms man out of the dust, and he gifts man life by breathing into his nostrils, and in that moment, Adam is alive. And then he said, now it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to take a rib and I'm going to create Eve. And so he creates Eve. And at that moment, now the trajectory for the world is set in motion that humans, the image bearers of God, will rule and reign over all things in this earth. And so he has created it all and he has set it now in motion. And he tells Adam and Eve, you can have dominion, you can reign, you can rule. The one thing you cannot do is eat from this uh, tree in the middle of the garden. So as most of us know, Adam and Eve go, they eat from the tree, this is what's called the fall, and so in that moment, the entire world has fallen under the curse of sin. So it says that, Romans 8 says that the whole world is groaning under under the, the curse of sin, that every human from that point on has been born with a sinful nature, that we are born sinners, and we're not just helpless victims being born a sinner, But then it says, we've all joined in. We've all rebelled against God, against his will, against his son. And so we are all now rebels, right? We've been born into the rebel army, and we have gladly taken up our armor. And we have said, man, I'm going to rebel against God. We have been sinners from birth. So God, seeing this, doesn't just turn his back to our universe and say, okay, this one's screwed up. Let me go create another one. But he said, I'm going to love you, and I will save you. He prophesied that a Messiah was going to come for you. And God didn't just create a person and say, now, now you be the savior of the world, but he said, this job deserves me. So God, in the form of Jesus Christ, came down into his broken creation. Think about this, the, the rebellious, broken creation that he sent, God enters in and the light of the world has come into the world. And Jesus lives a perfect life. He loves people, he heals people, he teaches about the will of the Father and he lives perfectly But even in all his perfection, people accuse him, they count him guilty, they beat him. Jesus bleeds, Jesus suffers, 
Jesus cries, and Jesus goes to the cross that was meant for you and me. And in that moment, Jesus, in excruciating agony, cries out, saying that his father has turned his face, that the father has left him. And I just get this picture. Now, this is me, not the Bible. But I just get this picture of heaven, man, and the angels, all the forces in this world are ready to go down, ready to say, that's my God dying on the cross. That's my God. I want to save him. And the father holds them back and says, for you, he dies. For you, Jesus stays on the cross. For you, the forces that could wipe out the face of the earth to save their God, the Father said, no, for you. And Jesus dies. He takes the full wrath of God for every single one of our sins, and Jesus dies. And for three days after that, darkness reigns. Darkness reigns over the world. It said the world gets covered in darkness. Satan seemingly is victorious in this moment as Jesus' body lays in the grave. For three days. But see, like the good news is that three days later on Sunday, the disciples come to the tomb and they look and they say, Jesus isn't here, that Jesus is no longer in the grave. And the angels say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They say, Jesus is no longer dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose again from the grave. And Jesus' first words out of his mouth are, do not be afraid. He's saying, fear is gone. Insecurity is gone. You looking for life and identity is gone because Jesus in that moment has defeated death, defeated darkness, defeated fear, and defeated Satan for all time, Jesus won, and Jesus is now alive and well in heaven. And that is good news, City Light. That is good news. And City Light, Jesus reigns, Jesus lives so that nothing can defeat us, so that Jesus can fully overcome. Every sin, every uh, scheme of the devil, everything was won in that moment, was beaten down in that moment when Jesus rose again from the grave. Now, I know for many of you who have been in church for a while, you've probably heard that, right? You've heard the gospel a thousand times. But here's the question I want to ask you. If that is true, that is the most amazing news in the universe, and it's also the most, it's the most sure thing we can put our hope in. If Jesus already won, and spoiler, Jesus comes back and wins again, like we see that, like there's no battle here, like Jesus wins, and if that is a strong branch to hold to, then see, like, why do we fade and try to grab other branches? Why do we say, man, my confidence, I know it should be in Jesus, but I also really like my job. You know, my job's going to give me that comfort. If I just had a spouse, that would give me the comfort. If my spouse was just different, if my kids were just better, then that would be uh, where my confidence lies. What, what is driving us, City Light? What's the foundation for your life? Because I don't want us to be a church that comes in here on Sunday, praises and says yes to Jesus, and then walks out, and we're saying, I know this branch is strong, but this twig looks pretty nice. This twig looks kind of nice. This leaf might save me. And we stray, and we say, maybe this will save me. And what John does here, he's saying, no, no, no. If you believe the glory of the gospel, and he's saying, just cling to that, because there's nothing else that you can put your confidence in that is as sure as that. So you're like, I feel like, as I was writing this, I was just going through some struggles in my own heart, where I stray, and I feel like, man, we struggle so much with, um, let's say, insecurities, because our confidence is put in objects that fade and fail, and we don't have a ground to stand on, right? We struggle with pride and self-image, because we care more about our image and how people view us, rather than how people view 
Jesus. We struggle with uh, lust because we care more about the desires that we can get here rather than the intimacy and the pleasure that we can have in Jesus. We struggle with greed because we care more about and are more confident in the comfort that money will buy us rather than the comfort that Jesus has already bought us on the cross. City Light, John is pleading with us here. He's saying, don't put your confidence in anything else. There's nothing else that is as sure as Jesus. And if that's true, let us just cling to that. Let's just cling to Jesus. There's nothing else that will save you, and there's nothing else that will keep you saved. We can't say, Jesus saves me, but my morality will keep me with Jesus. Jesus will save me, but how strong I am will keep me there. Because here's the reality, guys. If you could lose your salvation, you would do it. Like, we're just weak. Like, if we could lose it, we would lose it. But the reality is it's not about how strong we cling to Jesus, but how strong Jesus is clinging to us. And he promises nothing will take you away. We can have confidence in this. And so what John does to end this passage is he says, man, if you believe that, you can know that you have eternal life. And if your confidence is there, this should impact three, or this should produce three different kinds of confidence in your life. You should live a more confident life now because of that. And so what I want to do is just show three ways that our lives should be impacted by that confidence. Three things that this should produce. And I'll go through these quick. I know some of you are like, dude, you're just starting your three-point sermon. Um, But I'm going to go through these quick, so don't worry. But but here they are. The three things that this should impact is we should have confidence in prayer. We should have confidence in our identity. And we should have confidence in truth. All right, so let's go through these passages. First will be confidence in prayer. Uh, Let's start in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. For there is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Um, so here's the thing, I could uh, preach a theology of prayer, why you should pray, tell you to pray, you guys have heard it a thousand times, right? You know that you should pray. Reality is we don't do it, right? Like we just don't do that, this is not a huge priority in most of our lives. But, but here I think, this is um, just kind of the reality of prayer. Uh, prayer is the, the manifestation of the gospel in the Christian's heart. So if you grasp the gospel, John is saying, you should pray If you can say, man, my confidence is fully in the branch, then he's saying, be confident in prayer because what uh, prayer does is it shows that you're saying, I can't, but God can. Right? It's saying, I'm weak, but God's strong. It's saying, I don't know, but God knows. Prayer is you cling to that branch saying, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I have no confidence in myself. I have confidence in Jesus. And so the first thing John does here is he says, man, if you believe this, Enter into the throne room of God and pray. Like, think about that. I think very often we think prayer is just me sitting in my room and speaking to the ceiling or maybe a God. But what the Bible teaches is that your prayers, you enter into the throne room of God and you get to plead and pray with God Almighty. Like, this is a glorious thing. And you get to walk in there solely because of what Jesus has done. And in Jesus' name, we get to say, man, God, if it is your will do this. God, would you do this? Would you, would you help me in this? God, thank you for this. And you get to pray and commune with God. Now, one of the um, kind of confusing things as I, as I was going through this is 
I was thinking, man, if I pray according to his will, so, so what does that really mean? Like, so basically I could just walk in and say, God, let your will be done and walk out. Like, I think some of my angry Calvinist tendencies were kind of coming out here. And I was like, well, if God's just going to do it and it doesn't matter what I'm going to do, then, then what does prayer even matter? Um, and Tim Keller, a uh, pastor in New York, just came out with a book on prayer. And, and he wrote this quote. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. So what he's saying here is, you have a good father that wants to give you good things. And his will is for his glory to be made known and for your good. And that's what he's going to give you. He's going to give you things that glorify him and are good for you. And so what this quote basically says uh, is that God will give you what you ask if that's what's best for you. Or if you ask for something that's not good for you, he is going to, as a loving father, say, no, but I will give you this, because this is what you would have asked if you knew everything I know. Like, does anybody have those prayers that you prayed five, ten years ago that you look back and you're like, thank goodness God didn't give me that, right? Like, thank you for not doing that. What he's saying is, if you had that knowledge then, you wouldn't have asked for that. You would have asked for this, and that's what I gave you because I'm a good father. And so what John is saying is, confidently enter the throne room of God and pray for God's will to be done because that's for his glory and for your good. And then John, in the next couple of verses, um, goes on to this really confusing couple of verses talking about like some sin leads to death, some sin doesn't lead to death, pray for this, don't pray for that. Honestly, let me just be honest, I had no idea what he was talking about. Like this was confusing. I talked to some people after the nine o'clock and they were like, yeah, I, I read that this week and I had no idea either. Like it's, it's a difficult passage. So let me give you a 30 second explanation or my best explanation of this is um, I was I was reading a lot of commentaries, a lot of pastors, theologians, what they said about these verses. And um, some people said, man, this is a, a physical death. Some sin really leads to physical death. They quoted Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, that, that they actually died physically because of their sin. Other people said, no, 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 it's about repentant sin and unrepentant sin. That's the, that's the difference there. Another said, no, it's solely about blaspheming the Holy Spirit and, and, and all other sins don't really lead to death. And I just want to say right now, I can't confidently teach any of those. Like, I don't know exactly what John is saying, but I will say this, I don't think that's really the point. I don't think us figuring out the exact sin and exactly what's going on here is the point. Because many people said the readers that John wrote this to probably knew. He probably left it vague because he didn't have to be very specific. And in God's sovereignty, it's kind of broadened out. And I think what John is saying here, and the big idea that we can get from this is, see, like, we are a family now. And when we see a brother sinning, when we see someone in the family sinning, he wants us to know that that's serious. There is destruction from sin. There is death that comes from sin. Unrepentant sin will lead to eternal death. He's saying this is a serious, serious thing. And so instead of our first response when we see people sinning to, to judge them, gossip about them, just try to train them and, and fix them, he says, why not first go and pray for them? Why not have your first response be to enter that throne room of God and intercede for them? What if instead of trying to fix each other all the time, we allowed God to fix each other? Because we can try to fix each other, confidence in ourselves, or what's John saying, you can go to God to help him fix our issues, confidence in our branch. Right? If you have confidence in Jesus in your eternal life, that should drive you into prayer. 
So as I was thinking about this, man, I was just thinking, man, what, what would it look like as a church if parents, instead of trying to fix and mold and train your kids to be exactly what you want them to be, what if you spent the best hours of your day praying for your kids? Parents, what if you woke up 15 minutes early, sat at your bedside, and just pleaded with God for your kids? What if you pray for them to save your kids, to, to give your kids mercy and justice and all the characteristics of God? What if you pleaded with God for your kids rather than first training them and teaching them and fixing them? Spouses, what if we did this in marriages? What if instead of trying to nag at each other and fix each other all the time, what if our first response was always to go to God? What if we prayed for God to intervene before we intervene? What if instead of trying to make our husbands better leaders and our wives uh, more submissive, what if we prayed to God? What if we tried to purify our own hearts and say, man, would I, uh, would I be a better leader? Would I be someone that my wife would want to follow? Women, what, could I uh, follow him, respect him, and love him better? Before we try to train, what if we prayed? City group leaders, what if you did this for your city group members? Church, what if we did this for our four pastors? Instead of our first response be sending an email telling them what we don't like, right? What if we prayed for them first? What if we went to God for that? Chris is really excited about that. He's excited, man. Well, what, if we, what if we prayed for them? What if we lifted them up before anything else? City Light, instead of trying to train, fix everything by ourselves, confidence in ourselves, what if we went to God first? Hard conversations, rebuking, all that stuff can and should happen. But what if our first hour, our first day, or our first week was spent in prayer, not in that conversation? John says you can have confidence in prayer. Secondly, John says you can have confidence in identity. So let's go to the next couple verses and look at this. John writes, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So again, this is kind of a confusing passage saying, man, you got to be born of God. Uh, those who don't keep on sinning, which I felt like ruled me out because I know I keep on sinning. Um, who, who is born? Who's being protected? What, what's going on here? And, and so here's my, my short version of what I think John is getting at in this one. He's saying, man, you have been given an identity in Christ. You've been given an identity, so why stray back into the things of this world? Why stray back toward, towards uh, sin and, and the power that you think Satan has over you when Jesus protects you? What he's saying is that you have been born into the family of God. That God didn't just on the cross justify you, make you clean, and then say, now run away before like, I catch you doing something else. Right? He doesn't just clean your slate, but he takes you as an orphan and he adopts you into his family. Like, this is a beautiful truth. He doesn't just justify you. He adopts you. And now, it says, because Jesus already reigns, because Jesus already won, it says that Jesus will protect you. Jesus will be around you. The only way that sin has power over you is when you willingly walk back into the shackles and say, my confidence is now in this again. John's saying, stop. Just stop it. You know that Jesus can protect you, that Jesus has broken the bonds of our chain. They're gone. They're done and Jesus wants to protect you. And as I said before, man, John writes in his gospel that Jesus will never leave you. Jesus, nothing can take you out of his hand, that Jesus has you, that he protects you, that you are now a son of God. City Light, would we not walk back into these shackles? Would we not walk back into these sins and idols, but we cling to that branch? Would we say, I'm not looking for life anywhere else anymore? I'm not striving for things to validate me. I have the strongest 
branch in the world that validates me. He says, you are mine and I am yours. Let's cling to that identity. Lastly, I'll finish with this. Um, John says, man, you can have confidence in truth. So let's end with verses 20 and 21. John writes, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So little children, keep yourselves from idols. Um, let me give this illustration quickly to end. Does, does anyone have like test anxiety or did you have test anxiety growing up? A couple people did. Man, so I'm in seminary right now and like I'm just not smart enough, I don't think, to be there. So it is like really difficult for me. And so I get some of these tests and I'm sitting there and it's, you, you know that feeling when you read that first question and you just have no idea, right? Like you're sitting and you're like, I do not even know. I took a Greek class and I'm like, I literally can't read the question. Like, I don't even know the word. I don't even know what it's asking me right now. And in that moment, it builds up this, like, anxiety. It builds up this unease, and you just feel insecure, and you have no idea how this is going to go. But then you go to number two. Now, number two, you know. You got that. That builds a little bit of swag, and you're like, B, obviously. So you circle B. You got that down. You go to the next one. You're like, oh, I know this one too, right? And it builds this kind of confidence in you because you know what's right. Now, in that moment, you're not going to say, I know B's right but maybe they're tricking me. Let's try C. Like, let's, let's do something else, right? Let's stray from what I know is right and find this. And what John is saying, he's saying, you guys, you know what's right. You know that Jesus is true. He's saying, you know that Jesus has come. You know this because this book tells us, because we've experienced this, that you know Jesus is right. So he's saying, City Light, walk with a little bit of swag, man. Walk knowing the truth because he says, you know this. Jesus has come. You know that. Jesus has died, you know that. Jesus rose again, you know that. He's saying, why stray into these other idols? Why think maybe this will be true now? Why let everything that's always changing and fading and dying dictate what you think is true when you can know the branch is true? He's saying, if you're clinging to that branch, do not think maybe this twig will save me. Maybe this branch will save me. What about, I know this one's good, but maybe this one. And what John is pleading here, he's saying, man, Would you hold fast to Jesus? Would you not stray into idolatry? All idols are, they're fake, false substitutes for the real thing. Everything that we think we can gain from things in this world are just shadows of the actual substance. They're weaker branches that will snap and lead you to death. And see, Jesus doesn't want your whole life. He doesn't want your whole worship. He doesn't want everything just because he's greedy Just because he wants you and he wants to uh, shelter you from the rest of the world, Jesus wants you because he loves you so much. He loves you too much to let you give part of your worship to something that will kill you. He loves you too much to let you grab onto these idols when he says, I'm right here. So John was saying to this church, and I'm just pleading with us as a church Could we just hold fast to the truth? We know what's true. Would we not leave here and get swayed by the world's opinion, get swayed by uh, people's opinion, get swayed by culture, but we would say we know what is true. Everything else will fade. Your money will fade. Your relationships will fade. Your job will fade. Like I could literally go to your house right now and light your money on fire. Like it's paper. It doesn't matter, right? That's kind of weird. Um, The stock market could crash. How about that? Stock market could crash. And and if it crashes, man, your money's gone. You get fired tomorrow. Somebody you love could die. Like these things fade, and so too your confidence will fade with them. Jesus says, hold 
to what is true. So City Light, let me end by just pleading with us. Man, could we be a church that puts our confidence in Jesus? Could we just allow him to wrap us up in protection, to call us son, and to stay with the truth? Honestly, City Light, us wandering will always lead to death, destruction. John said, man, walk in confidence, walk in prayer, walk in your new found identity. When somebody tells you something else, when you're trying to get swayed, when the world says, man, it's all about sex, you can say, no, 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 it's all about Jesus. When the world says it's all about your job, you say, no, 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 it's all about Jesus. When the world says it's all about your fame, your recognition, your name, you say, no, 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 it's all about Jesus' fame, his recognition, his name. When the world says it's about this new truth and this new scientific discovery and and this new worldview and this new tolerant view, you can say, no, 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 it's all about Jesus and his truth, City Light. City Light, Jesus overcomes all these things. And I pray that as a church, we hold fast to our branch because City Light, our branch is strong. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that, that you are so good. I thank you that you are so powerful. God, that you have already won. God, that you're coming back to win again, that we have victory in you, that, that Galatians 5 tells us not to go back into sin because we have been set free. City Light, or Jesus, I pray that City Light as a church, um, we would have this deep in our hearts. Would this be a truth that is so deep in our hearts that we live day in and day out in your confidence, hanging on to you as our branch, saying nothing else will do for me. Give me you. I want to just cling to you, and that is all. Jesus, would you help us? Pray in your name. Amen.